Well, good morning and happy new year. I feel like somehow I always get shafted with preaching again. Like I, I gave this last time, like it was the week after my honeymoon. This time it's New Year's Day. Like I felt like an old person last night, like going to bed early, like it was 12.01 and it's like, all right, bedtime. Uh, no, no celebrating for me last night. Um, Luckily, it was a 10 o'clock start, so I could sleep in a little bit, I guess. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks for being here. Uh, it, it truly is a blessing to be able to preach today. Um, and I get to nerd out a little bit today. Like, Marco, he always, like, nerds out when he preaches and, like, does all, like, the big words and, like preaching on like the confessions and all of that like that's that's nerdy so I get to nerd out today and uh, because we're not in a series so I got to pick whatever I wanted Um, and today I went with the title of living water Um, and kind of fascinating it it kind of stuck out to me the past probably month that I've been preparing this the more it's kind of become like evident that this is a good topic. And it was kind of funny. A few weeks ago, my in-laws go to Ada Bible. And we were over at their house one Sunday afternoon. And it was, we're sitting there and they're like, so we just had a sermon on the feasts. And today it was on Sukkot, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. I'm like, oh, Interesting. And we talked about it, and I'm like, funny story, I'm actually preparing a message on that. Uh, Christmas Eve, we went to my dad's church at Keystone, and Brady Nemers preached on Sukkot, Feast of Booths, Tabernacles. I'm like, okay, there's, there's a theme going on here. Uh, they took it different directions, um, but it's still... There's something powerful if it's, at least for me, if I'm being hit upside the head that many times with that feast. Um, So hopefully part of my nerding out is taking you guys there, giving you a taste of the Holy Land, especially in the time of Jesus. Um, As many of you know, I, I spent time there. Actually, the first time I ever went, At this point, I was on my way to Chicago five years ago to board a plane to head to Israel. That was my first trip there. Um, I then studied there for a year at Jerusalem University College and then got to go with Pastor Jeff this past year. So the Holy Land is special to me. Um, There's several out there who have been. Uh, So you'll notice some of these pictures. You'll remember those. Um, As I was putting these photos in the slide, I was was taken back. Uh, Just the memories of being there. Uh, So hopefully I give you a a little taste of the Holy Land, a little desire to want to go, want to study more. Uh, So that's my passion. Uh, Just a couple things that, before I totally get started, a couple resources that I used during my prep, and 
I highly recommend at least this one, if anything. Um, Heart of the Holy Land, 40 Reflections on Scripture and Place. Um, both of these books were written by my professor, our president at JUC, um, Dr. Wright. Um, this one is very easy, kind of devotional type read. Um, they're just a couple pages each, and that's what really, reading through this, gave me the idea for today's sermon. Um, and if you want the deeper version, this was like our textbook, um, Illustrated Guide to Biblical Geography. Um, both are incredible. The bigger one is deep. Um, we had to read it as a textbook, so that, that'll tell you something. Um, but there is a lot of good stuff in it. And pretty much all of the pictures in those books were taken by him or students. Um, so incredible, incredible resources. And the photos today, pretty much all the photos are mine. Um, so I got to rip them off my phone and put them into a slideshow. So the only couple things in there, there's a video that I get to show, that's not me, sadly. I, I'm not that good with technology. Um, have you ever been so thirsty or in need of water where it just felt like a desert in your mouth? Do you remember getting that first drink afterwards and you're like, ah, oh, this is great, cold water, ice cold water, or you're like dumping it on your head or down your shirt, whatever it is to cool down? Uh, for me, I, I remember that it's kind of, it's a good memory, it's a bad memory, it's both. Uh, back when I was playing Little League, my coach decided going into the last tournament of the year to teach me a new position. Our third baseman wasn't going to be there. He was elsewhere. We had nobody else that could play third. I was an outfielder. I was a catcher. My coach goes, you're up. And so middle of July, I swear, it had to have been a thousand baseballs he hit at me. But it was probably like a hundred. But ground ball after ground ball, he's hitting at me. Just, I swear, I felt like a hockey goalie. Just off the shoulders, off the stomach. Like I was bruised. And it's like 90 degrees. I'm dying. And finally he's like, all right, let's take a break. Go, go get some water. I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. Like I'm seeing stars. Like it, it's awful. Get to the bench didn't have a water. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to I'm going to pass out. Luckily my buddy uh had one of the big like igloo cooler fulls of water and I just start chugging it. Start pounding the water and it was amazing. Like I felt revived. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's take some more ground balls. And settled in played third base at the tournament. I think I did all right. I I don't even remember that. Uh, but I remember nearly dying in practice leading up to it. Maybe for you guys, it's you have that hobby garden, the hobby farm, and you need water. Middle of summer, things are dying, things are shriveling up, and you need the water. That's where irrigation, sprinklers, hoses, all of that we have nowadays that make it so much easier. 
people in the ancient Near East didn't have those modern benefits. They didn't have a hose they could hook up. They didn't have sprinklers. Their lives revolved around finding water and trying to keep that water. Back then, it was the constant search for where are good places that we can find water? Where are we going to live that has water? Uh, They would constantly find the areas that were fresh, living water. Uh, Springs was a common place you would see people living. And also, obviously, water is important throughout Scripture. If we're seeing it all the way at Genesis, all the way to Revelation, and throughout, constant references to water. It's always on their mind. I've got a little video here that will show, that kind of just shows you a little glimpse of Israel and the land for the people there. So that was En Gedi. That photo there was taken way up top. We decided to hike, I think, from the lowest place on earth up. I think our total elevation change was like 1,500 feet. Um, So we hiked all the way up to the top. And as you can tell, a lot of desert, a lot of dry, a lot of heat. But there's water there. Water that you can't drink. That there's the Dead Sea. The most salt content water anywhere. So what made this place and Getty so special? As you could see in the video, there was water. The springs of David. That's where David hung out. That's where when he was fleeing, he found living water. There's caves, there's water, there's safety in the middle of the desert. So it's the perfect hiding space. It's also the perfect definition of an oasis. The definition of an oasis is a fertile spot in a desert where water's found. There's desert all around, dry Nowadays, you'll see irrigation around there. You'll see date palms. You'll see trees. You'll see tons of banana farms, all of that kind of stuff around there. But in the time of David, Jesus, nothing. So it was the perfect oasis. Drinkable water. Water that they could live on. That was also the... Oh, some more living water there for you. So, the one, first, this one is part of Engedi, David's spring. There's multiple little waterfalls like that. The other one is Tel Dan, way up north, where there's one of the largest springs up there. But one of the draws to Jerusalem, as you can see here, The Gihon Springs, living water. That's why this was a little diagram of the time of King David. Um, So even before David, there was the draw to Jerusalem because of the springs, living water. So that was the draw there. Whenever you could find living water, 
people would be there. People would inhabit there. And if springs weren't an option, that was always the best place. You didn't have to do any work for it. It was just there. If that wasn't an option, wells. This one's Jacob's well. Obviously, modern Jacob's well. Still the well. Uh, and still the well of the time of Jesus, but like many places throughout the Holy Land, there's a big church above it. And you can actually go down and actually drink from Jacob's well. Pretty tasty water. Uh, Cold water. But wells were a lot of work, especially without our technology today where it's easy to bore down and you've got water within hours. This took days, months to dig a well, hand dig it, have to build it up. If successful, you'd have, like there, water until today. You'd have unlimited fresh water. It was well worth it. Oh, yeah, I know. I was saving that one. I I even, like, made sure to put that one in my notes. See, I don't have to make a note like John and be like, that one didn't work. It did work. Yeah, all right. But the other fun thing of wells was it was a place to gather. People would gather around the well to pull water up. We see multiple stories throughout scriptures of people gathering at the wells. It was a meeting place, business, conversation, waiting time. You just have to wait your turn to get water. Uh, So it was the perfect hangout. So pretty good source of water if you can't find springs. The third option they had, cisterns. Still pretty difficult to build. With this, you're digging into the bedrock. You're then plastering the sides. So as you can tell, you see the walls are pretty, pretty smooth. So you're plastering the sides. And the whole goal with these cisterns is to collect rain runoff. So during the rainy season, from October, November, through... April, May, you're hoping it rains, and you're hoping it rains a lot to fill your tank. As you can tell, this one, obviously, end of the rainy season. There's still some water in it. But the plan, the hope, was to get enough water to last you through the dry season until the next rainy season, and it refills. There's also, there's multiple references throughout scripture of cisterns. We see in Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. Cisterns can break. That was the other downside of option number three. Your plaster can crack. Your water can drain out. And that was no no easy task to fix that. That was the greatest fear of the people was all of a sudden, July, August, your tank's empty. 
your water's all drained out. What are you going to do? You now have to go a few months with no water. And it was common to have plenty of dry periods. So that was the greatest fear. And that's what Jeremiah was saying was, the people of the Lord turned their backs on him. That's what he was getting at, was turning the backs on living water, fresh water, and taking it on themselves to make cisterns, and not good cisterns. If you go throughout the land enough, you see plenty of cisterns. You see small ones, big ones. Uh, These both were around Jerusalem. Um, There's massive ones up on Masada that are like, the size of multiple tour buses stacked on top of each other. Uh, So you see big, small, you see residential ones. Uh, By the time of Jesus, when Jerusalem was big, there was still the springs, but cisterns were real common. So it was always an option, but not the best option. So when it comes to water, it's always on the minds of people. It was always, where are we getting our water from? When are we getting our water? How much water are we going to get? Where are we going to settle? Is there water around? Is there enough water? It was always on their minds. And if they didn't have the fresh water, what would they do? For the people of Israel, it was easy. They'd pray. Pray for rain. And that's where Sukkot comes in the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It's one of the last fall festivals held at the end of the agricultural year. Uh, So when grapes, olives, all of that are harvested, it's a seven, eight-day festival. It was to thank the Lord for the provisions of the year. It was to pray for rain. But it was also, the whole idea of Booths was to remember the wanderings, the time in the wilderness. When the Lord provided, they lived in booths in the wilderness. Therefore, when they settled, they would build booths during this festival to remember those days and remember when the Lord provided water from the rocks. So this festival was a lot of remembering from their current situation all the way to their past. multiple references of the how to do the festivals. Leviticus 23, Numbers 29 kind of gives you the how-tos, the building of your Sukkot, your booth, uh, which still happens today. So these are, so that is our Sukkot that we built on campus. That was our booth. None of us slept in it, I don't think. I think maybe one of the professor's kids slept in it one of the nights. But it is still a very common thing today. I've even seen people in the States, uh, Messianic Jews, build a Sukkot in their backyard. Um, If you go around Jerusalem during Sukkot, you would see them. Um, you would see the booths on, if you had an apartment, it's on your balcony, it's in your backyard, it's wherever. They get creative. Um, It's still, to this day, to remember the wanderings, to 
pray for rain, to pray for the goodness that the Lord provided this past year. So that's a little Sukkot. Another ritual that was done during this time was every day during the seven days, the priests would walk from the temple all the way down to the Pool of Siloam, which was a pretty good hike. And if you know anything about Israel, Jerusalem, it's a lot of hills. So they had to walk down quite a ways to the pool, grab water, bring it all the way back up to the temple, and they would pour water out every day. And they would pour it out at the base of the altar. That was another remembrance of the provision of water during the wanderings. Zechariah 14, 16 through 19 gives us just a little glimpse again of what Sukkot was. Then every, everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any of And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of the hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. So again, this whole idea of rain and water and Sukkot and the Feast of Booths, uh, Josephus, a great historian for the time of Jesus. Um, I don't necessarily recommend reading his books because it's big, it's, it's a lot. But it's good to reference different pieces that he talks about. And he says about Sukkot, the greatest of holiest feast of the Jews. Uh, so the Feast of Booths was important. It was one of the three major feast that the Jews would have to travel back to Jerusalem for. Um, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot were the three feasts of pilgrimage that they would make their trips back to to Jerusalem every year. Um, Which leads us into today's passage. Doing a little bit of bouncing around, but one key passage that I wanted to focus in on today was John 7, 37 and 38. Just a couple verses. Uh, in Jesus' ministry, that we see the Feast of Booths. John seven thirty seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So with this, we see Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. He's in Jerusalem at this point. As much as he didn't want to go, at the beginning of chapter 7, we see Jesus is in Galilee with his disciples. He was content on being there. It was the disciples who kind of nudged him along of, 
let's go. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go for the feast. Part of it was they wanted the people to see his works. They wanted to see him. I think part of it, too, might have been they, they knew this is one of the, pe- the feasts of pilgrimage. I think that might have been on their mind of, oh, we're kind of called to do this. We're supposed to go. So Jesus, the disciples take off. Jesus kind of ends up following along. He goes with them. Goes to Jerusalem. And we see at the beginning of chapter 7, he's there. He's kind of preaching a little bit at the beginning. Causes a little bit of a stir. It's probably around here is when the people, the Israelites, or the Jews really started to turn on Jesus. First, it was just in Galilee, like he was causing a scene up there. Not in Jerusalem, not not the holy city. Now he's in the holy city, kind of preaching, causing a little bit of a stir. So then we come to the last day. There's a little bit of question here of is it the seventh day is it the eighth day which day is it the last day of the feast doesn't necessarily matter in this case there's seven days of the feast so seven days of pouring out of the water sacrifices but there's an eighth day which is kind of the closing ceremony will you of like the olympics like we're closing things up we don't do everything the same it's more celebration there's more prayers that's what's going on in this photo and these photos. This is the last day, the eighth day of Sukkot. So you can see plenty of people gathering. These both are Western Wall. This is the Western Wall Tunnel. So if you see in the corner, you can kind of see the little hump. That's inside there. And then this is the Western Wall, full of people of people praying there's a uh, you can't see it up there but there's a priestly blessing that happens he's on a ledge kind of above the people and it's a big gathering on the last day of prayer especially prayer for rain Um, so there's a little bit of question of was it the seventh day was it the eighth day doesn't necessarily matter because He's saying, he's talking about water. Water's on the mind of the people already, especially after seeing seven days of pouring out of water, seven days of praying for rain. So water's already on the mind of people. And then Jesus, as it says, he cries out, speaks in a loud voice. Makes sense why he would do that. Just seeing this modern day, thousands of people in the time of jesus thousands if not hundreds of thousands gathered and they don't have these so it makes sense that he's in a loud voice he wants the people to hear it's the listen up listen what to what i have to say he's trying to get the attention of the masses it's not just the conversation with his disciples anymore it's everybody needs to hear this. And he goes on to say, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. I think Jesus is 
very intentional with his imagery. Quite often, he's very intentional with it. But I'm sure several things are running through his mind. Memories are popping up. For a lot of the Jews, for a lot of the disciples, they would have known several key passages of Scripture. And I'm sure Isaiah 55.1 was one of them. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And I think it would have been on the disciples' mind as well. Just back in John 4, we see the woman at the well, where Jesus is saying, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, that Jacob's well water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus, again, is talking about living water. Living water that flows from within. I also think Jesus had a pretty good idea of where he was standing when he said this. He was in the temple. And there's multiple passages throughout Scripture of the temple, the temple mount, and water. So I'm sure in his mind, too, he's going back to Zechariah 14, 8, where it's from Jerusalem, from the temple, water will flow to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean. Or Ezekiel 47, where it talks about the river flowing from the temple. Or Revelation 22, the living water flowing from the throne of God the temple. Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I'm sure all of this is running through Jesus' mind as he's standing on the temple mount talking about living water to people who are always thinking about where is my water coming from? Where am I going to get my next drink? Where's the closest well? Where's the closest spring? Is it going to rain? When is it going to rain? Jesus is intentional, and he's saying that I'm the one that offers water. A water that quenches the thirst. Jesus is calling the people to himself. And these people are starting to make connections here. They're starting to realize the more he talks about water, the more that this is the living water. That's what ruffles the feathers of the Jews. And his disciples are making these connections. The more and more they see and hear about water, it's this living water, this spring water. Uh, As Dr. Wright puts it in his book about living water, not stale, unsanitary, sludgy cistern water, not standing, tepid well water, Not even a little brook of fresh spring water, but rivers of living water flowing from Jesus and the hearts of those who believe in him. Water that is fully quenching, water that is healthy, water that is invigorating, water that is able to empower us to truly live. That's the water Jesus is talking about. Living water, water that quenches. 
So again, water's constantly on the minds of people. It's constantly, they're constantly thinking about water. It's constantly a part of their daily lives. They don't have a spigot they can just turn on. So Jesus is calling them to him. So what do, what do we do? This is back then when they always needed to worry about water. We've got drinking fountains. We've got bottled water. We've, we've got it made now. What do, what do we do? Jesus is calling us to living water. He's calling us to eternal living water. He's calling us to himself. He's calling us to him, the one who offers living water. As, as I was prepping this, I, I started to think about Indiana Jones and kind of the last crusades. I'm sure many have seen it or have heard of it. Um, the whole idea of the Holy Grail and this idea of water that offers eternal life. And that, that's constantly a theme through humanity of the search for the fountain of youth, the holy grail, living water. I want to live forever. I just, it's kind of funny that it's always something water that offers this eternal life. And that's always on people's minds is, I want to live forever. I want this eternity. Christ is the one offering it. Christ is saying, come to me and I will quench that thirst. You will have eternal life. And I think he's also calling us to be the examples. As he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of our hearts will flow waters of living water. Rivers of living water. He's calling us to be the example to our communities. Be the flowing springs. Especially nowadays. It, it's definitely a dark time. People are searching. People are digging their own cisterns. Hearing, hewing their own cisterns. Doing it on their own. Turning their backs and they're broken cisterns, cisterns that leak, that at the end, in the middle of the dry season, are empty. They're constantly searching for water. That's a world we live in. People are constantly searching. They're constantly doing it on their own, not needing God, turning their backs. We are called to be the examples to show the people that we have supplies of living water. We need to show the people in our community, in the world, that God is the source of living water. So maybe it comes down to a couple things. Maybe it's, have you turned to God? Have you turned your life over to the source of living water? Or are you doing it on your own? I always kind of enjoy preaching. I've done it a couple times around like the first of the year, the first Sunday 
of the new year. Because with the new year always comes New Year's resolutions. I'm sure we've all made some and by February have broken some. But maybe this year it's turning our lives to God, turning from the broken cisterns of the world and turning to God, the source of living water. Maybe it's to be the example of living water more. Be the good news to our community. Our world certainly needs it. It certainly needs living water. So what are you going to do this year? Are you going to be the example? Are you going to be the one flowing with living water? So as I close, today you saw a lot of my passion for the Holy Land, a lot of my joy but as you can see, there's, there's a lot of people missing it. A lot of people who are searching. They're praying for a coming Messiah that they missed. It breaks my heart. But we can be the examples of living water. So as tradition around the Holy Land, we say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for those searching. So it's common throughout the Holy Land to see these signs or see some Banksy, the dove with an armored vest on, so I say, pray. Pray like the people of Israel. Pray to be a source of living water.